Welcome to the State of Everything Extra Tim with Tim Price and myself, Paul Rodriguez. Hi, Tim. How are you doing? Oh, welcome, everybody. Welcome, everyone. Now, what are we doing, Tim? Why are we doing this? This is a very good question, and I'd like you to give me the answer. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I, suppose, I, I suppose I did ask you to do it and then not explain it. We'd like to have some interaction with our audience. And what's been great about our long-form podcasts is we get to talk to a guest for a long time, and then uh, I think after that we we kind of get some questions and, and maybe – you know, we'd like to answer those questions and interact with day-to-day news. And because we put the podcast out every week or so, sometimes those questions are out of sync with our podcast. So you might ask something and then, say, a month later, we do the podcast. And the kind of who, do think, who do you think is going to win the election? Yeah, <laughs> which, goodness which me. Which one? <laughs> yeah, do you think Brexit will happen, Tim? I'm not really sure. So, so this is the extra Tim, where we basically get to hear all about what Tim... Th- thinks and what's current news and what he's tweeting about which is always so much fun to to watch and to listen to and also to hear about his research because you write a weekly don't you tim this is correct and it's it's free and it's every week which is quite amazing well that's very kind uh, i enjoy doing it so that's the reason it, reason it goes out a bit it, well it, even it, even christmas time it goes indeed, out indeed. It? And it's a special one yeah so um what was the subject of of Okay, so I'm waiting for my colleague Killian to to sign off on it from a a compliance perspective because he's our our head of compliance and this needs to be authorised as part of a um, real-time marketing communication, I think the FCA calls them. But uh, anyway, that's that's what it is. But basically, uh, once again, I'm revisiting the grounds of effectively the the malign role that the media takes in relation to the the way in which basically overmuch reliance on news for want of a better phrase can lead investors astray right so that's that's an age old it's an age old thing timeless as far as i'm concerned but i I, I think i think it would be fair to say i didn't really start thinking about this until more than halfway through my career so i i think this probably happens to just about everybody let's say you start out in a dealing room and you can confirm or not whether it was your experience, Paul. But for me, it, it, you, if you sort of parachuted into a, an investment banking trading environment without, frankly, not too much prior preparation, you just kind of you take at face value what people tell you. So you, it, you take at face value the idea that you need to keep an eye on, you know, obviously prices of everything and what market's doing and market commentary from X, Y, Z and what the economist thinks about this and what the researchers think about that. And so you've got all yeah. these little kind of interest groups all jostling for uh, for your attention. And, and basically, you're trying to cram a million things into a tiny little flask. It's just it's complete sensory data overload. Um, the, the, the the cheesy old quote that I'd, I'd use at this at this point is well, it's, it's actually one I cite in the article, which is that up until recently, I'm sure we've used it on the podcast. Up until comparatively recently, you needed a big funnel to access market data and get an edge. Now you need a big filter. So within the course yes. of the last 20 years or so, we've, we've, we've morphed or we've tipped over from being a, where do I get the data? Where do I get the information? Where do I get the knowledge to, my God, there's just so much of this stuff, we're drowning in it. Yes, that's absolutely true. I mean, I came into the markets from a 
technical perspective anyway, where we we sort of ignore what the news says to a large extent and just follow what the price is saying. And for people who think that's crazy, just look, have a look at what's happened with the Canara virus and, and the markets. Uh, it's a classic example of everybody sh- shouting that this is going to make the markets go down and that's why it was the Dow's down 300 points or whatever. But it's all it's, it's, it's got, all narrative. It's all just narrative. It's all narrative. Yeah. The situation's got worse, and the markets are higher. Explain, you know, and you can't. And that's that's exactly the point of um, the, the the news flow against it's news against information. There's a very big difference. Sure. Not well, to mar- say that I mean, the fundament- what's, the, what's the phrase? Markets um, news follows markets. News follows price rather than the other way around. Yes, exactly. There there are news. There's news out there, or information out there that's driving the market, which is why the market is going higher. That's not necessarily what you are reading or seeing in the press. You know, just because the BBC says something, it doesn't make it what people think. Mm. You know, you people, you could probably relate to a comment like that more than perhaps to what I'm saying about the markets, because it sounds so counterintuitive. So, so the, the, the that, people have always had sympathy in, in limited terms for those poor sods, that, for example, the FT, who are tasked with giving a daily account of why XYZ happened in ABC different markets. So say like why the commodities market did what it did yesterday or why the stock market in whichever country, typically the US, did what it did, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all, reality is this is the most unscientific commentary you will ever find because it's like – well, so basically, the, the the person involved will probably typically ring around a few mates in the market and then just and then just quote the most plausible seeming thesis to account for what's already happened. But it's I, I cannot now think of a bigger waste of time. Yes, exactly. It's like so. And so so first, we're going over old news, and then we're going over stale narratives to account for why old news that's already been and gone has happened. It's like completely and utterly pointless. Except if you are vaguely interested in, you know, basically narrative fallacy is probably the best way to describe it. I'd make a point though that people might think that that's a recent thing just because of the internet. Oh no, it's been going the ex- on the forever, for, for as long as we've yeah. had news. Exactly. Exactly. It's the, the same thing would happen early on in my career. I was uh, being helped to learn about the markets through a friend. And what we would do is we'd write a a trader's diary. So we would read what the, I think it was the, we used to get our information from the Evening Standard because you'd get lots of updates throughout the day. I think they had three or four, or maybe even five printings at that time of the Evening Standard. There was once a time when it used to be possible to get post as well. When, when you'd, you'd put a stamp on something and then within an indeterminate number of days, it would actually get delivered rather than just rather than get lodged under some postage bed for the next three months and then everyone ends up in prison. Yeah, yeah. But no, they used to have um, like five to six deliveries in Victorian times. It's amazing to think how that service has just collapsed. Yeah, but but, um, but but back to the back to the point. The, uh, the... <laughs> point meets meets commentary. Yes, so. We would we would write down a, a name of a stock and then why why it, this is the thing people forget right so they they sort of so they get the next piece of news and then just completely forget what was said before and as an exercise I would recommend that anybody tries this just keep a diary of what the media is saying about any particular market or stock and you will find that they contradict themselves 
quite often about why the market is going up. The market's going up because of X. Then they'll say that it's going down because of X. And then, you know, the, the market is going to react positively to this Canara virus because maybe they're going to overstimulate. You can always come up with a reason. And the, these are just stories. So once, once you get away from that and then dig a bit deeper into why things are going, you can either use the fundamental you know, way of analysing the markets. No one's saying that they're mutually exclusive. Just because someone uses technicals, it doesn't mean they can't use fundamentals. It doesn't mean, and vice versa. But I can guarantee that the information that's out most of the time in mainstream media is not going to help you to make investment decisions because they're designed to sell newspapers and grab headlines more than they are to inform. So to, to that point, I mean, this is one I've, I study, I've cited uh, a piece I've cited on innumerable occasions and will continue to do so. So this is from via a guy called Thomas Schuster at the Institute for Communication and Media Studies at Leipzig University. And this is one of the things I, I, I cited in my book. Um, investing through the looking glass. So he has this little story about um, a company in the States called Entremed. And there's a report in the New York Times that they've basically found a cure for cancer, or at least a, can- a cure for cancer in mice. And so the stock price goes up by 600%. And this is, this is Thomas Schuster. Quote, The news is spectacular and exciting, but it is not new. The New York Times itself had reported about the new therapy of tumors and animals in an article half a year earlier. Financial economists are amazed by the stock price reaction to the non-event as well. According to the efficient market hypothesis, which says that all available information is always completely reflected in prices, the republication of the story should not have provoked any significant price reactions. But what happens in this case is exactly the opposite. The Entremed stock reacts twice to the publication of the original news and much more violently to the prominently placed rerun of the research report on the Times cover. Other biotechnology stocks rally sharply too. The stocks of a whole branch of industry rise, as it seems, because some newspaper journalists have repackaged already known research results a second time. And and Schuster, in, who does not pull any punches about the mainstream financial media, he says, the me- and this is this is worth having uh, basically emblazoned in granite above your you know TV, computer terminal, whatever. Quote: The media select. They interpret, they emotionalize, and they create facts. The media not only reduce reality by lowering information density, they focus reality by accumulating information where actually none exists. A typical stock market report looks like this. Stock X increased because dot, dot, dot. Index Y crashed due to dot, dot, dot. Prices Z continue to rise after dot, dot, dot. Most of these explanations are post hoc rationalizations. An artificial logic is created based on a simplistic understanding of the markets, which implies that there are simple explanations for most price movements, that price movements follow rules which then lead to systematic patterns, and of course that the news disseminated by the media decisively contribute to the emergence of price movements. And the last thing I'd I'd add on this point is if if there were any value to what was in the newspapers. Well, how could that possibly be the case? If it's a mass medium, how can you possibly get an edge from something that it reports if you're getting it at perhaps a later time than a million other people? Yes, the only way you could do that is if you... Front run it, basically, have, have, have advanced access to, to the information that everybody else gets later on. Well, the, well, I, actually, I would say the only way to do that is to... Um, there was a really interesting documentary that was made... Uh, about the Black and Scholes equation mm. and the this is this is a model management. this is a model for option pricing. 
the model for option pricing and it was a, a BBC documentary it was very good it was very good and it basically said that had, you had what the academics thought should happen in the markets right so you had you know the academics saying it's impossible to beat the markets because it's a coin flipping exercise which is bullshit and then you had a guy who's actually making a load of money trading explaining how he did it and he did it with a, com- a combination of what looked like technicals because he was reading charts, mm. but a, a, a also psychology. And he was saying the way he would do it, and it's different for everybody, so there's no recipe that just says this is how you do it. You've got to find your own way. He, his way of doing it was to look at the newspapers and then to see how people react to the newspapers. So in other words, you would take a a, a story like the virus in China as the headlines, knowing that this has been fed into the market mm. and then look at how the market reacts if it if it falls sharply and then stops and waits there that's information mm. that's telling you that there's been a, a little mini panic and you can tell by the tone of the headlines whether people are going to buy or sell mm. and then from that you can work out the the next step so we know they've all shorted because the markets are in fear mode it hasn't gone down therefore it's likely to go back up now and understanding when you're wrong as well is clearly very important. So that, that for me, is the only way that news can potentially help you in the sense that it's you're working out what everybody on the street or all the other traders might be worried about and then kind of going against it. So it's kind of a mini contrary opinion theory. For sure. And the, you know, the, the more I look at this topic, the, the more I'm convinced – I mean, I'm now convinced beyond any you know rational doubt at all that that 99.9 recurring percent of what is reported as news is simply a distraction. So the next the next quote I'm going to give you is from um, an essay again that I, I've cited a lot from a Swiss guy Rolf Doberly called "Avoid News," and we can put a link to the the essay. You can read it online um, in the show notes. Um, and this is a, a very brief uh, edited sort of highlight. At core, human beings are cavemen in suits and dresses. Our brains are optimised for our original hunter-gatherer environment where we lived in small bands of 25 to 100 individuals with limited sources of food information. Our brains and our bodies now live in a world that is the opposite of what we're designed to handle. This leads to great risk and to inappropriate, outright dangerous behaviour. In the past few decades, the fortunate among us have recognised the hazards of living with an overabundance of food, brackets, obesity and diabetes, brackets, and have started to shift our diets. But most of us do not yet understand that news is to the mind what sugar is to the body. News is easy to digest. The media feeds us small bites of trivial matter, tidbits that don't really concern our lives and don't require thinking. That's why we experience almost no saturation. Unlike reading books and long, deep magazine articles, which requires thinking, we can swallow limitless quantities of news flashes like bright-coloured candies for the mind. Today, we have reached the same point in relation to information overload that we faced 20 years ago in regard to food intake. We are beginning to recognise how toxic news can be, and we are learning to take the first steps toward an information diet. This is my attempt, this is, this is Rolf Dobley again, this is my attempt to clarify the toxic dangers of news and to recommend some ways to deal with it. I have now gone without news for a year, so I can see, feel and report the effects of this freedom firsthand. Less disruption, more time, less anxiety, deeper thinking, more insights. It's not easy, but it's worth it. 
And the reason, and then this this morphs to a wider debate still, which is the one about fake news. So, firstly, we we we're working on the presumption that there's at least something, something to you know what the news is reporting, what the media is reporting. But it's even worse if you then discover, as I think both of us would would concede that we we are strongly suspicious of, namely that as far as mainstream news is concerned, let's just take the the market closest to home, namely the UK news scene and the BBC, that they're not even reporting the same news that I'm that I would be reporting. It's like everything has a slant. So everything about Brexit coverage was deeply slanted in a very anti way. And I think those chickens are now starting to come home to roost. So to, just to bring us right up to speed, you may have seen that the BBC, BBC Studios is now going to do a series with Greta Thunberg about climate change. And I'm just thinking, yeah. wow, it's like this is so unscientific. I mean, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. So this is, this is again, issues that, that, that interest me particularly right now on Twitter. I am not Ooh. disputing that the climate is changing. Um, so there's a book that I got from a, a subscriber who recommended it, a, a book that I recommend to anybody now who wants to be slightly more informed about this, which is called Inconvenient Facts by a guy called Gregory Wrightstone. He's a, he's a geologist by training. And I'll let people make up their own mind but by dint of doing it. It's, it's packed with facts as opposed to, you know, scaremongering and just, you know, alarmism. But the, the point is, a, a simple question, what is Greta Thunberg's authority? What is her scientific credentials to speak about climate change? Uh, to my knowledge, she's a you know she's a high-profile school truant with autism, but she's she's become the high priest of of climate change alarmism, and this has now become basically the consensus. So it is very very difficult to challenge that consensus because she's given airtime by the likes of the BBC, and trying to and trying to fight against that tide is almost impossible. It's like King Canute. But isn't that part partly why? I mean, they're not. They're not listening to her because of her own analysis, though, are they? I just thought she was you, just the face You'd have of it. to ask me, but she's clearly become a figurehead. She's clearly become a yes. kind of Joan of Arc type figure. Um, yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, it would be lovely. And the, the reason I've got so much time for the Wrightstone book is it's very measured. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's nuanced. It gives, you know, it, it's willing to accept that not everything is, is what we've heard. But I'd also give um, credit to, you know, to Wrightstone for, for making the following point. He's a strong proponent of the scientific process and often refers to a basic tenet of English law, ordiatur et altera pars, or let both sides be fairly heard. And that's the problem, that both sides are not being fairly heard in this debate. All we're getting is one side of it. Um, we're not getting any anything that's remotely sceptic. We're getting, this is established fact. This is settled science. There's no such thing as settled science. Mm. Well, the climate is changing, isn't it? Yeah, so, so, that's so, the, so point. the climate is yeah, changing. So, but so the po- are we causing? Yeah, so that, that, that's, 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 the, the, that's the trillion dollar question. So, what Wrightstone, the point he makes is yes, the climate changes. The climate has changed since the Earth was created. So, the Earth has oscillated between periods of glaciation and then warmer periods, like the one we're living through now, periods of interglaciation. But that doesn't mean, the fact that's been going on for millions of years doesn't mean that because we're going through a period of perhaps temporary warming, that human activity is causing it. So firstly, is human activity causing climate change? Yes or no? That is not proven. That is not settled. Even if it is, even if it were proven, and I, I keep an open mind, then the question is, well, is, there any, is there any point doing anything about it? Because as far as I can tell, and as far as Wrightstone is concerned, I think most proper scientists would say, What's the biggest single most powerful energy source in, in our solar system? It's the sun. 
You know, what is the biggest influence on our climate? It's the sun. What's the next biggest influence on our climate? Probably tidal, you know, uh, waves, you know, um, sea, ocean currents. And after, Pro- after that, it's probably the wind. Probably the sun it- and probably the sun again with solar. Yes, players. exactly. Yeah. So, so you've yeah. got all these all these things influencing the climate, of which human activity may well be playing a part. But it's it's difficult to see how human activity is playing more of a part than the sun, given that you could fit a million Earths into the sun. And folding into that, the fact that there are companies out there that are damaging to the environment and will pollute and all that sort of stuff. That's a separate exactly, issue. Exactly, but it's it? been it's all been rolled into one thing. So in, in the cause of I mean being cynical about it and the cause of basically raising more money for government by way of taxation, the climate alarmist lobby can say, yeah, but effectively climate change equals, you know, harming the planet equals pollution equals environmental degradation equals being, you know, being nasty to animals. And it all gets rolled up into one nice, easily saleable ball that the that Greater can then, you know, she can then ride that that lobby and 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 do whatever those people want to do. But there's a, a piece from a lady called Joanne Nova in either Australia or New Zealand that I came across recently, and she came up with a killer observation, which is the onus is not on me as a skeptic to prove my cause because I'm not trying to change anything. I'm not after more money or more power, but you guys are. So that's why you have to you have to prove this stuff beyond you know regular satisfaction. And the climate change lobby is not engaging with that with that you know debate. Something as simple as plastic bags. Why can't we just use paper bags? I mean, it's just so, so basically simple. We recycle them anyway. Mm. So what's the big deal? Why just why just say why not just say everyone uses paper bags? In America, they give you the choice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, uh, for as long as I can remember, American TV, everyone comes home with a brown paper bag full of shopping. Yeah, exactly. It's how it was in the past. I mean, it's you don't need to. But the the it, but I mean, the attack. Uh, yeah, another well. huge sort of elephant in the room here is that you know this this country is already well ahead of the curve in terms of the, uh, countries around the world doing their bit for the planet. The UK is frankly not the problem. The big problem is you know emerging market economies and particularly China. Um, who are just pouring shit in the sea and in the and in the, and in the sky? Well, Greta can do a, a tour of China and see if she makes it back or not. It is com- it is completely ridiculous for you know for us to be you know for, for government. And this is why it's scary that you've got this uniformity of view, this consensus across all of the political establishment. You've got politicians queuing up, you know, to outspend each other on on green crap. But, but, you know, with the best will in the world, we're a country of 70 million people. The country that's going to have a bigger effect is a country that's got 1.3 billion and is building coal, coal power stations as far as the eye can see. So they need to change that. Yeah, but, but then you can make the argument, well, this is really just an exercise in now that the West's got developed and rich, it's trying to stop the rest of the world catching up. And I've got some sympathy for that argument because it doesn't look a bit like that. It's like, well, no, 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 no. We had our industrial revolution, so stuff you. We're going to have someone on the podcast. Aren't I we? hope so. So I've I've I've, um, I've actually sent out a, an email to Mr. Wrightstone himself, as I have to Joanne, oh, Joanne Nova. So we've got a few irons in the fire, and I'm hopeful that we'll have um, we'll have a talk about it in the in tweet the wise, of time. Tim. What tweet wise? What's what's caught your eye? The, the Twitter stuff that I think. Uh, and another, hopefully, another guest we'll have in the fullness of time is James Dellingpole, and I've been lucky enough to be on his podcast. So I'm hoping to do a return match. Um, and James has a, a, a lively following; he's, he's well followed. Um, and uh, it was something he actually uh, a piece he wrote probably for Breitbart, uh, which is you know where, where he writes. And it was a piece that came up, which I saw via Twitter, which is uh, "Vote Boris, Get Corbyn," and it's it, the the extent to which. 
those of us who were, you know, euphoric with joy at the election results and, you know, apparent progress towards Brexit, all of a sudden the, the bloom is starting to come off the rose now. So you're starting to see lots of sort of trial balloons in the context of higher taxes, particularly against property, higher taxes on pension funds. Now, HS2 looks like it's now going to happen, which I think personally is a disaster. Uh, didn't it? Didn't he say he would stop it? I, 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 I forget. I forget. You know what, what, what he said. But either way, it's, it's got the go ahead yeah. now. Um, yeah, they, they're blimey. clearly de- declaring war on cars. Not that that bothers me because I don't drive. But um, you know, yeah. the, 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 the backtracking. You know, the, the sound of the reverse gears on on you know policy towards cars is just ridiculous. Because first we had diesel, and now they're you know they're they're, they're going off to hybrid cars too. The idea that you you know it's no longer going to be possible to use gas central heating. I mean, for God's sake, there's so much green crap now flying around and and pointless government spending. This is it, it, to you know to get to the, the heart of it. This is not what I voted for. What about on Brexit? Uh, Brexit. Oh, that's a, that's 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 kind of. I, I I'd like to think it's sort of put, been put beyond doubt now. But given how these other policies are starting to sort of turn a bit off uh the jury's out even there potentially but at, at least he has to i mean we have to be better off than we were under theresa may yeah so previous podcast guests that we've got we haven't released yet pete verhoen yeah that he was very interesting so i'm really looking forward to putting that one out and um, that's, 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 that's for hardcore value value nuts as well that's very very yes. value versus growth um pro celebrity uh, cage fight and we went off-road a bit with um, Tanya Bonnes with the Enneagram test. Indeed, and, which uh, is quite quite yeah. an intriguing uh, thesis, the Enneagram. Yes, which we will be releasing very soon. So, yes, very interesting. But I, 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 I think they're, they're all just fascinating, really. It's, it's amazing how, you know, as you were saying, Craig Drake, south, south uh, of France, um, fund manager, he's got his way of looking at the markets. Then you've got your way, then you've got, the um, Pete Wilhelm, who's who's more similar, I think, but obviously applying it in a different Everything's part of the world. Everything's different. So, I mean, we gave a presentation to, to institutional um, wealth managers a, a week ago, and the thing I suggested then, and I'm, I'm I'm convinced it's true, if you took just ten value managers and asked for a definition of value, you'd get fifteen different answers. So, there's so yes. many ways of of sort of um, of of skinning this cat. Fantastic. Well, look, Tim, we're going to ask our listeners if they want to ask you any questions and we're going to update next week so we're going to do this this time next week this possibly could become a live show so we, we might get live guests on etc so more to come basically but this is going to be a weekly slot watch this, watch so this please, space watch this space so tim it's been absolutely fantastic thanks Great tim. Stuff. um see uh, you, enjoy the day you too see you soon enjoy cheers bye bye so if you'd like to ask a question, please send a message on Twitter to at Tim F. Price or drop me an email, paul at thinktrading.com. And we're always looking for interesting podcast guests. So if you'd like to come on the show, drop us a line. You can also leave a message at anchor.fm forward slash state of the markets. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and all the other podcast providers. We are everywhere. And I'd like to say a big thank you to all our supporters, all the likes, all the subscribes. You're absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Catch you next time. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.